Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talk about people that you don't know. You jack, 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 jack all the time. Your head's so hard, you won't pay me no mind. Talk to the baby, talk all the time. Talk, talk, talk. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Logic Bird podcast. Um, I'm back as your uh, hostess with the mostess, possibly. Um, and joining me again this week is. Uh, our regular contributors of Randy and Molly, and delighted to have back again our previous co-host Ray, joining us all the way from uh, sunny or possibly slightly thunderstormy soon uh, France. So welcome, ladies. Uh, glad to have you all back on board for this edition. Are we all well? Very well, thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, we've got lots to cover. Um, it's been a very busy week or so uh, for Liverpool in the league, in the Champions League. Um, and I would like us to start, although for some people it may be a slightly different memory, but I'd like us to start with uh, the Chelsea game. Um, obviously, the last time we were we were together, we... Um, we talked about the uh, forthcoming games and we talked about, uh, you know, Chelsea potentially being one of the most difficult ones in terms of the run-in. Um, we obviously uh, beat them at Anfield um, just over a week or so ago. So it would be great to get people's uh, recollections of that. And um, I did say, um, listeners, when we were planning this pod, that I did want to take the opportunity to basically just wallow in Mohamed Salah's goal against Chelsea. So we will take the opportunity to do that. But um, Molly, let's let's start with you. Um, where were you for the Chelsea game? Well, I was very nearly at Anfield. <laughs> but I wasn't. Very nearly. <laughs> what happened was we left Kuwait to go home because it was a big family event on the Sunday 
Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's great, because when I booked my tickets, my flights home, uh, we were playing on the Saturday. And oh. then they selfishly moved it, and uh, which was right in the middle of the family event, which was the reason I was going home in the first place. So, <laughs> but what we did, <laughs> we snuck out to the pub. So it was quite nice. (laughs) But weirdly, last time we snuck, me and my dad snuck out to the pub. Was I think? I can't remember what game it was. We we the last time we beat Chelsea, we were stuck at a family. In twenty twelve. Yeah, we snuck out then. It was yeah. We were we were talking about it. We snuck out then as well, and we watched it in the pub down the road from the event. And so it's obviously like a thing. Um. So we. Yes, but it was quite nice. It was nice to be in Liverpool, um, even though we weren't at Anfield. It was nice, obviously, to be surrounded by the the, the kind of the, the people I would have been at Anfield with. Um, yeah. And it was a really, really great atmosphere, actually. Um, the alcohol probably helped, but he <laughs> added to it a little bit. But no, because it never that game in particular. I think it felt like a like a positive game um throughout um so yeah. it was it was a night yes yeah, so it was a night it was a nice um it, it was a really positive atmosphere i felt well from the pub anyway <laughs> <Where we went. laughs> well from uh from somebody who was inside the ground i can tell you it was a really positive um atmosphere and i think i think it was that you know what do we call it, symbiosis, because I think the team was very much on the front foot. Um, And to be fair to Chelsea, they came to, I mean, the first half was kind of a bit of a non-event, but but Chelsea definitely came to make a game of it. And I think that made a huge difference in terms to, um, in terms of rather, how the game then unfolded in the second half. Ray, were you at home watching it or were you uh, out and about when the Chelsea game was on? Um, I was watching it <laughs> on a stream in Luxembourg and um, exchanging um, a lot of WhatsApp messages uh, with my husband. And um, <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed the Chelsea game because um, it was really open football and it was really nice that neither team was you know parking the bus they they both come to play their game and try and and try and win um i have to admit that my my heart was in my mouth for maybe the last 20 minutes of it because um after that goal um a certain nervousness crept in or at least that's the impression that i had and um i just sat there going oh my god for 20 minutes <laughs> until the final whistle really and then I was just relieved at, at the moment I just feel like so much there's so much riding on each of the games that we have left now and because this whole premiership um, race is going down to the wire we need every point that we can get and every three points that we can get and we can't afford to drop the ball Half and half and It's not rugby. We don't carry it. But you know what I mean. Um, yeah. You know, every every game feels crucial. Um, but by the same token, 
none of our games feels unwinnable or leaves us feeling particularly vulnerable. So I have to admit, I wasn't overly concerned before kickoff. Um, just nerves kicked in while I was watching the second half. So, yeah, but it was a really good game. Really entertaining game of football. Yeah, both which, which isn't always the case when we play Chelsea, to be fair. No. Um, so, so I have, uh, you know, uh, and I remember saying to... Um, I think one of the guys who who sits next to me was saying, you know, if you're a neutral, you'd be loving this game. Um, the fact that I wasn't <laughs> neutral meant a bit, a bit like you that that 15 minutes, well, in the second half after we went two nil up was torturous, and uh, you know, I still, I'm still not sure how Hazard hit the post rather than actually burying the ball in the net. I'm very glad he did, but. Um, but yeah, there was some, there was some sort of strange, strange moments then. Um, Randy, were you, um, in your, your, the pub that you normally go to or were you at home? Did you, did you take notes? Oh, okay. So, so we haven't, we haven't reviewed your notes for a while, have I we? That. I know. But the good thing is that I did because I can't, can't remember them. Much. It's happened so much since, hasn't it? But I can see in my notes that it says that uh, before second half, I noted that Fabinho has been the best player in uh, the first half, it says. And it mm. also says very even and very entertaining, so it must have been. And I actually wasn't nervous for that match at all. I don't know why. I, I said before, I think the worst matches we have left before the Southampton yes. uh, game must be Southampton and the Spurs. And uh, they seemed to go okay, didn't they? Um, and then I believe we Chelsea. we won both of them. <laughs> although although it was possibly the the Spurs game was uh, <laughs> well that was that was a very interesting end. So that was that was a kind of it you know the amazing. Pickford Arms job all over again. Oh, it was so good because my brother-in-law is um, a Spurs fan, so he hasn't stopped talking about that. How and you know the whole situation was and blah 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 until the other day obviously when he was absolutely screaming of joy uh, but to come back to the game I thought that uh, as you said Ray I was so suddenly so nervous in the middle of the game and I thought fucking hell maybe this is going to be it now then because it was so even and it was a very good match and then we Start and especially Salah, I have to say that goal must be his best, don't you think? He still says the Everton one is his best, but I think that was absolutely beautiful and it was so not him. So it was so nice to see. It, it's just like I can't do anything inside the five meter, I can't do any, anything inside the 60. Don't, let's do it outside, let's do it 25 meters out. <laughs> and it was just so, so marvelous. So uh, I, I think happy. Mm. I, it was the, the thing about it, I guess for me in terms of the, you know, it was a, it was a beautiful strike of the ball, absolutely beautiful. But what you don't see with Salah very often is him going for pure power. And I think that was the thing that, that, that kind of surprised us all. But, and, and I'm sure we've all seen it from multiple angles, multiple, but it, it felt, you know, from from the minute it, he hit it, uh, I'm I'm fairly sure, regardless of where you were in the ground, 
there was that collective gasp when it yeah. when it hit the net because because it just it was just such a sweetly hit shot and it was already a cracking atmosphere and then it just went up another level there was there was just pandemonium i mean the the i was <laughs> i was saying after the game thing i you know I, I, my hair got pulled somebody punched me <laughs> in the back of the head i was hugging the bloke next to me the the people in front of me nearly tipped down into the the road behind them because they were jumping on each other so much it was just pandemonium where certainly where i was i would imagine it was not that different in other in other parts of the ground um but but when you think about it um you know as magical as that goal was um and it was and it's a goal worthy of winning any game again we clipped another clean sheet and i think i think allison is up to 19 clean sheets or something in his first season in the Premier League, which is frankly ridiculous. Um, but the, but the games keep coming. They keep coming. So the other thing I think I would say on this is the bit, the thing that I was worried about in this game was the fact that it was really close to Hillsborough is obviously the day before the Hillsborough anniversary. The fact that, you know, Tommy Smith had died, the fact that we were going to do a minute silence and we were playing Chelsea. And I didn't, I didn't know how they were going to behave because let's face it, not long before that, all that stuff would come about, about those Chelsea fans singing, you know, Salah is a bomber and all the rest of it. And I just thought this could turn really ugly. And so I, you know, it's the least you would expect, but I would like to acknowledge the fact that actually the minute silence was impeccably observed by both sets of supporters. Um, you'd, you'd want it to have been that way, but I actually wasn't convinced it would be, if I'm honest. Um, so I was very pleased to see that go off uh, without any incident. Um, <laughs> you never, you just never can tell these days. Um, but then, you know, after the after the Chelsea game, we then swiftly uh, moved on to Porto. Um, if I've got if I've got these in the right order, um, so you know, bringing the the Champions League back, we obviously had the um, you know we'd had the first leg, and I know we we kind of glossed over it. We sort of said we were all expecting us to go through over Porto, although we expected to get quite a tough uh, a tough game in the Remax back at the Estadio Dragao. Um, but I, do you know what I was? I was. It felt almost procession like. It felt like it was such a. Um, just such a complete professional performance um that even though they started well i i don't know i i mean i would i would check this with you but i never i never felt any real issues or concerns when we were playing porto and and when when i've looked at the you know the that when they talk about the highlights of the champions league for that week and it was it was a mad slash magical week we were always the fourth team that were showed because 
there was nothing remarkable. We turned up, we did our job, and we went home. And that in itself is kind of, that's a mark to me about how far we, you know, we just, we did what we needed to do to go through against, go through against Porto. Um, and we will touch on some of the other teams that went through and teams that went out, but I don't know. It, it was weird for it to be, feel so relaxed. I mean, Ray, what, how did you feel about the, 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 you know, the tie against Porto? Cause it just seemed, you know, job done to me. I wasn't, I wasn't very comfortable during the first half, I have to admit, because, um, I felt that Porto had decided that they're going to play as at our own game and they were very intense, particularly for the first 15 minutes. And, yeah. um, and that gave me the wobbles a little bit, but, um, defensively were really quite solid um and also i have to bear in mind that sometimes commentary teams don't really want us to go through even though they are british commentators um and the commentary that i was listening to which i think was on msnbc or something i don't remember what it was um they kept banging on about how nervy our defense was and um okay they weren't perhaps clicking through the gears the way we're used to seeing them do but it just took a, a little while for them to settle down um but they did and one of the things that i've really enjoyed particularly this season but it was certainly something we were doing last season as, as well is that some teams do opt to fight fire with fire as it were and say right you know, they're going to come at us really intense. We're going to do that twice over, you know, twice as hard. And they try it. But the thing is that they haven't got the fitness levels that our lads have got. So they quickly run out of puff, as it were. And mm. um, and and you watch these players flag. You watch their energy just drain away. And you think, right, this is where we've got you now. And now we can start knocking the goals in. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. We let them almost kind of run themselves aground yeah. against us. Like you do with a, you know, a rowdy toddler. Yes. <laughs> run around. <laughs> Wear yourself out. We'll put you to bed in 20 minutes when you've, when you've got this out of your system. <laughs> I mean, that, that was the, I mean, that, that was just, it just, it just felt like it was, uh, you know, a normal day at the office. And don't get me wrong, you know, you get the Champions League music and all of that sort of stuff and you know you're playing to get into the semi-final. But but it it wasn't, you know, and Porto were not a bad side, but it just, it didn't feel like it was a hardship. It felt like we were just serenely progressing in the background by it, why everybody else was going through some other form of madness. Um Randy, does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I just echo it. In one way, I was not that that nervous. But let's be honest, Porter could have had 3-0 after 20 minutes. Maybe they should have had, you know, to, to have some reward for all their running around. And uh, when they didn't get that, I was quite sure and quite comfortable with the thought of we're going to get there in the end. And uh, five minutes later of that thought, uh, Mane is there and we got the goal. And uh, from then on, um, I'm looking back at my notes and it says, we really miss Bobby, don't we? And that seems to be something that happens every time he doesn't play. So mm. I think we missed him. Uh, also defensively, because you know how 
how much he works back and you know how much he's depending from the top uh, helps the other guys. But but that sort of everything fell into pattern again after that. And Hendra comes on and does a brilliant job. And the most in, marvelous uh, scene I would say from that match is for me, and I've seen it played back and played many times when the fan sings for Virgil. You know, he sings Virgil's song. Yes. Yeah. We watch him defend, then we watch him score. And when we say score. <laughs> I found he fucking scored, you know. It is such a marvelous, marvelous moment, and he sort of uh, wraps the whole Porto matches up for me. It's like we're gonna batty it six all together. <laughs> so so nice. Really, really happy about that. <laughs> so Molly, then we we obviously we went through against uh, Porto and um, quite easily. Well. Easily is maybe the wrong word, but um, we we weren't hugely extended. Um, we got a reasonable examination, but we weren't hugely extended. Um, and like you said, you um, <laughs> sadly you you weren't um, you weren't there for the for the game because of because of your flights, but you uh, you found out when you landed. So. Um, <laughs> what did you make of the other results when you also landed? I presume they came through at the same time when you found out that uh, City had gone out to Spurs. Well, I had I, I spent quite a lot of money on data, because um, so I was <laughs> I was on the ground in Istanbul on my in transit back to Kuwait, um, so. It was really, really difficult to kind of find out what was actually happening in the Liverpool games because the only information I was getting from any source, um, even on the Sky Sports app, when I was yeah. on the Liverpool versus Porto section for their live feed, it was telling me what was happening in the other game. So I was, because I wasn't watching Liverpool, it was quite yeah. frustrating because it was like, Oh, it sounds exciting, but I don't really give a shit. No. I want to know what's happening <laughs> in Liverpool. <laughs> and then, so luckily I found out about our first goal just before I got on the plane. <laughs> so I kind of, it was good because um, obviously it kind of felt a little bit settling. Yeah, but it was just, it just sounded like pandemonium. Um, <laughs> you can't even... And I mean, the only, and I know, I know we've really just got to concentrate on ourselves, but I mean, that really will go one of two ways, won't it, for City? It'll spare them for the league or it will absolutely, and because of the way they went out, yeah, I borderline, not quite, was a bit sympathetic. Because that's harsh. That is like, that's heartbreaking. <laughs> Not for me, um, no. but for, for them, and, and it was a bit. Uh, but yeah, it just sounded like utter carnage. But I was, yeah, obviously made, you know, getting on the plane at 1 0 and landing at 4 1 was, was uh, very pleasant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it absolutely was. And which, which, you know, the, and the result means that we obviously um, play Barcelona. Um, in the semi-finals, and um, 
I ha- I have to say I am hugely excited at the prospect because I genuinely do believe we will beat them over two legs. Um, and I know um, that there's not a single, you know, when you get to the semi-final, every game is a tough game, right? But I am absolutely convinced there's not a single team that wanted us in the semi-final. Um, what's, what do you think are going to be the, the key, you know, the sort of key points that are going to sort of make or break the semi-final for us? Uh, Randy, let's, let's start with you on that. Uh, I think it is a bit difficult to say because I don't hardly, hardly ever watch the but you know the players and you know their attack, attacking players are very, very good. So, and we know that we've got the best defense in the world. So that could be a nice, interesting little match just between Messi, Coutinho, Suarez and uh, Virgil and um, whoever is playing in the back. Uh, but, he could probably take all three on, yeah, to be probably. fair, and, and, the, the form he's in. <laughs> but the good thing about this is, like, did you see, um, uh, what's his name, um, playing next to Virgil in the uh, last game, uh, Cardiff? Uh, Matis? Joe Gomez? Matis? Uh, yeah, and then Gomez Ma- comes on and plays the right back, doesn't he? But Matis has played very, very well, hasn't he, lately? And he has. looking at that game particularly, and I think I saw that a bit in uh, on Chelsea as well, that if people try to avoid Virgil, obviously. And what they have to face then is Matip, which has been very, very good. And also the fact that they, he gets a lot more free space as well, because uh, Virgil sort of covers it all in the back. So we got an extra midfield player through that. And remember also we've got Fabinho. Which hopefully is not injured by that head little thingy that I had the other day, but because he's going to be very, very important for talking about something very attacking players. So I think we, we are the worst team, as you said. They don't want to meet us. And, uh, maybe Coutinho is not going to play. Maybe Suarez is going to be affected by coming back to us, you know. Yeah. So I'm very, very excited for this. And I actually looked up the match to see if I could go over and buy a ticket or whatever. And the only option I had was like, it cost me 1,400 Norwegian kroners. So that how is much like... How much is that in Sterling? That, that would be like uh, 1,700 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, I don't think I will come over. Mm. But <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. <laughs> I do, I do not blame <laughs> no, you at all. I have all. to sell the car or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is, you know, it, it, you would say it was the the glamour tie of the of the semi-finals. Um, Molly, what what are your feelings around us versus Barcelona then in the semi-final? I think it's very exciting, uh, like you say, because I think. I think that we are going in as the, the probably the or what what seems to be the, the slightly weaker team, but I don't think that we are. Does that make sense? Like we're kind of the underdogs, but I I don't think that we are. Like on the pitch, I don't think that that is how it's yeah. going to play out. Um, I'm also really really hoping that they're kind of looking at us, you know, Liverpool, you know, from the final last year because I think. 
we're such an improved team that I kind of want them to be underestimating us. Um, but because I think we just were so improved from last year, and I think if anybody, and I hope this doesn't come back to bite me, but I think if anybody uh, has the kind of ability to put a dampener on the likes of Messi and Suarez, it has to be Virgil van Dijk and Alex. You know, could would you put anybody else up against him? You know, from from any anywhere else, any other team. I think they're the best who to put a dampener on it. And I think, like you say, I think obvious that their strength, our strength, we are really strong defensively at the minute. I think uh, as well, possibly got a little bit more grit in terms of when you're looking at players like Robertson, when you're looking at players like potentially Milner or Henderson, if if they're on the pitch at the time, there's that kind of little bit of um, oh, I can't remember like yeah, like grit, like the. That they're going to get really, really stuck in. They're, they're not necessarily like flamboyant yeah. footballers. And so I think it'll be really exciting. And I think it, the second leg's at Anfield, is that right? It is. And then, and I think that might potentially be really quite difficult for ex Liverpool players. And I don't mean in that it's going to be like they're, they're going to get a bad atmosphere because I don't think they're going to get a bad but it must be a little bit daunting, surely, especially, probably especially more for Coutinho, maybe, because it's a bit more recent, but kind of coming mm. back and playing in that atmosphere in a Champions League semi-final where it's kind of all out on the line. To, and yet to a team that's been like absolutely better than ever, like breaking records in the league and things, I think that could potentially, well, hopefully go in our favour anyway. Mm. I mean, Ray, do you, what do you think the, the reception is likely to be like for Suarez Coutinho? And to, to build on Molly's point, we've actually, you could argue, almost proved, improved out of all recognition since he's left. So, oh, absolutely. What, you know, how, how does that potentially make him feel? And on, on the basis he's had actually quite a hard time. What, since he's got to Barcelona, is not necessarily a fan favourite, but has actually been getting quite a lot of stick. Do you know what, Gay? I what? ran out. I ran out of Fox when he left, <laughs> <laughs> and I have I have none left to give right now. I do you know what? I I didn't like how he left. No, and I think, and I think that. The most dignified way to, to treat him is with the utmost indifference, and that will possibly hurt him more than anything else. Um, but, you know, we have to remember that we can look back on players with affection. We can look back on them with a degree of bitterness. Fernando Torres, I'm looking at you. Um, because... I was I was actually more bitter about Torres than I was about Coutinho. Coutinho had been angling to go to Barcelona for a good couple of seasons. Off your fuck then, pal. Go. Um, Firmino told him before he left that he would never be loved at Barcelona the way he, he was loved at Anfield. And that has yeah. come to pass. Serve you right. You know, you, you've, you've made this decision. You made the bed. You lie in it. And you, his situation in Barcelona is no concern of ours. No, I, None so, I whatsoever. I so, you know, I mean, Suarez's transfer wasn't exactly the best either, but, um, you know, he played his boots off 
right up until the end, and then off he went. Yeah. Um, whereas Coutinho had this, you know, mystery back problem that meant that he couldn't play for us for weeks on end. So, you know, it's really, I, I just, I don't, I don't give a fuck what sort of reception he gets, to be honest. Um, Luis Suarez will always love Suarez because of that particular season and how he played. And I maintain that I don't really care what his stats are at Barcelona. I think that we had Luis Suarez at his very peak the way that we had Fernando Torres at his very peak. And it's wonderful that Suarez has had such a fantastic time of it since he joined Barca. Um, But I I think that we had the the best of him for the time that he was with us. Um, So he remains a favourite amongst the fans and Coutinho less so. Um, so, you know, yes, okay, it may play on them psychologically. Um, it may not, but the fact of the matter is we're going to go out and we're going to play the, fo- the football that we play now, yeah. which is not the football that we were playing when Suarez was with us. And it's not the football that we were playing when Coutinho was with us. This team is completely different and is light years ahead of those two squads. So, um, bring it, I mean, bring it. Yeah, I, I, so I have to say I'm hugely excited at the thought. And I, you know, we still remain the only English team that have beaten Barcelona twice at the Nou Camp. And I could see us doing it again. But I almost feel, I'm so not, not to, not planning on giving Coutinho a round of applause or anything. But actually, his departure paid for Van Dyke and Allison. Um, so. So there's almost part of me that goes, do you know what, mate? You've done us a huge favour. You acted like an arse. We got 142 million for you, and look at where we are. Um, I, I, I think you know, there's there's part of me that goes, all all's fair um, in you know in love and football. So if part of creating that atmosphere is that we're we're going to try and put him under immense pressure. Um, because I, I agree with you, Suarez, even though, um, you know, the whole biting thing in the World Cup because he wanted to go to Barcelona and was trying to, you know, get Real Madrid so disgusted with him that they didn't want to bid anymore. So he probably cost us 20 million with that bite on Chiellini. But anyway, putting that aside, um, he gave every ounce of blood, sweat and tears for us whilst he was here. And, you know, Coutinho didn't. Um, but I, so I have no issue about us giving Coutinho, um, a hard time, but, but I, I am, you know, on one level, I, again, I don't care. He doesn't play for us. He's not a Liverpool player. I have no interest. Um, you know, I recognize the talent because we had the talent at Liverpool. And I think, you know, if, if, if anything to, to get in his mind that helps us put him off his game, assuming he's playing, that works for me, frankly. Um, but but on a day to day basis, I wouldn't boo him because I don't care. <laughs> so so I think I just think I just think it's a fantastic, it's potentially a fantastic advert for football. Um, and I think in terms of the Champions League, um, it's it's you know for for viewers, this is just like yeah, they they love the idea of this. The other bit that I'm I I love the fact that Ajax are actually in the semi-finals, and I did say to a number of people that I genuinely thought that Ajax would turn over Juventus, 
and would and would come through. Um, and also that I didn't, it didn't matter to me whether Spurs or City went through because I thought Ajax would beat them as well and we would meet them in the final in Madrid. <laughs> so that was my, uh, <clears throat> that was, that's, that's my, and as, as you know, I'm brilliant at predictions, but that is, that is my, uh, that is my prediction. I would um, say as well that the fact that Ajax are through, um, gives me a bit of hope for Dutch football more generally because, um, you know, over the years, Dutch football teams have entertained us, entertained us, and I'm talking about domestic, uh, you know, yeah. domestically and internationally. Um, and Dutch football has very much been on the wane for at least the last, let's, let's be mean and say 10 years. Yeah. Um, and I would like to think that the fact that Ajax are doing so well in the Champions League is a really good indicator for the Dutch national side. Um, but also for teams on a national level as well in the domestic league, it would be really nice to see more Dutch football teams succeeding in the, um, in the tournaments like the, like the Champions League because we've missed them. Do you not see that, um, or do you not wonder or, or that then they're going to be broken up again at the end of the season? So De Jong's off to Barcelona or Real Madrid or wherever. De Ligt's apparently, you know, has got many, many clubs circling after him. Um, He's coming to us. Well, that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would Virgil. be great. Um, well, well yeah, this... but but it but that's that's the thing. But when you look at it, I mean, I think was it seven seven or six or seven of the things are graduates from their academy, so they've well, they've all kind of come through the system together and grown up. But the worry is because the money isn't in Dutch football like it is in other leagues around the thing that they're just a bit like Monaco the other mm-hmm. season. They're just going to get pulled to bits at the end of the at the yeah. end of this season. Well, this is where we have to tread with a degree of caution, don't we? Because there is a massive discrepancy and disparity between the wealth in, say, the Premier League and in other domestic leagues, because the Premier League is vastly wealthier than any of the other leagues, and when you do have a talent like Mbappe, for instance, or mm. De Jong, or whoever, suddenly these big teams, and the fact of the matter is that Liverpool is amongst those big teams now, um, are sitting up and paying attention and wading in with masses of money that a club like Monaco, that a club like Ajax can't afford to turn down. And it, it's, a, I can understand that it's a source of concern for clubs like Ajax, where you make all of these investments into your, your youth squad and you bring these players up through the ranks and through your academy, knowing that at some point they're going to go because you just haven't got the money to keep them. And it's saddening. It's exciting for us as, as supporters of a Premier League team, knowing that, you know, <clears throat> Our guys can go in and say, right, how much do you want? And just pay it like we did with Van Dijk because 75 million quid at the time seemed like an enormous amount of money and suddenly it seems like peanuts because he's so great. But um, it worries me for teams like Ajax, like Monaco, where you discover this talent, you nurture this talent, knowing that you've got them for maybe three, four seasons and then they're going to bugger off because the money's not there. 
it stands for the whole competition, isn't it? I mean, for the whole European competition. It looks like mm. that a bit in Champions League now. I mean, we've got uh, two English teams uh, going through to the semis. That is like, it should be three or four, maybe, probably. Um, and it doesn't... And that's what, not, you mean because of, because good, of the amount of money spent? Yeah, because of all the money spent. And because how much, uh, I mean, the concentration of the best players... They end up in uh, the old ones, end up in the free ones, end up in Juventus, and the other ones end up in uh, Bayern or Madrid or Barcelona, and the rest is in England. Oh, PSG, of course, because they yeah. pay people everything they want, but it is a bit sad. Well, it's it's interesting because when you when you look at the when you look at the models, particularly the the Qatari. Um, you know, wealth funds and, and all the rest of it, and the people who, who back Man City and back PSG. Um, you know, the, the, the reason that the, that those people got involved, they wanted to win the biggest prizes in football, and that includes the Champions League, and they, they've been solely unsuccessful thus far yeah. in Europe, despite the amount of money that they've thrown at it. So, I, I I take I absolutely take your point, Randy, and and you know you could sort of say well you can see another uh, potential area of you know time of domination of British teams in Europe coming. Ironic in the current Brexit uh, debacle we've got, yeah. but uh, put that to one side. So you've you've got Arsenal and Chelsea in the semi-finals of the Europa. You've got us and Spurs in the semi-final of the Champions League. You know you could conceivably. Uh, and I don't know the exact draw, but I'm assuming this would work out. You can see, conceivably see an all-English final in both competitions. That's the last thing that I want, um, yeah. because I I want to be in Europe to play teams from Europe. I do not want to have Premier League games as part of European competition. Um, but the the fact is that you know we do have uh, an obscene amount of money in the in the Premier League. And the the interesting thing for me is when you look at how some of the other leagues are set up and how they try and support their teams when they're playing in Europe, as opposed to the Premier League that, you know, because it's it's sold its soul to the to T V for billions and billions, is quite happy for them to move any game, any time, anywhere. Um, and actually doesn't give a shit whether that impacts their 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 chances in Europe because it's not their competition. It's been quite interesting to see, particularly over the last few days, all of the discussions that have gone around about moving the games for Liverpool and Spurs, which are, again are not ideal, but they they but they've all, almost had their hand forced to move the games to the Saturday because. Um, uh, partly because Ajax are playing in the Dutch Cup final on the Sunday, so they can't play on the Tuesday and one thing and another to actually try and give us a, a, an equal playing field as far as possible in terms of um, playing their opponents. So, uh, But I think that's a one-off. I don't think the Premier League would, would do that unless their hand is forced. And that comes back down to your point about money, Ray, which is, you know, it's... It's who you ever, you know, pays the piper. That, that's the one who, who's got control and, and the biggest amount of money is in the Premier League. And frankly, you know, if they get reflected glory, if a team wins the, the Champions League, then fine. But frankly, they're only interested in their own competition. So 
you know, when it comes to Ajax, yeah, the the amount of money we've got can see that team pulled apart by us, by Madrid, Barcelona, by Munich, who you know, Juventus, whoever else it might be, because they can't compete on that level. But it really has been a breath of fresh air for me to see Ajax go so far in the competition, and and you know, long long may it last. Um, anyway, we. You know, we spent quite a lot of time talking about that, which and and we've gone off in slight tangent. It was actually very interesting. Um, I do want to touch on VAR before we finish uh, today, but um, clearly, having uh, got through the Champions League and with all the other excitement in the other games, we then came back to uh, league form and league games and had to go and see the delightful Mr. Warnock in Cardiff um, with our with our team. So um, so Molly, I don't know you I think you said you might have been on a plane again. I've kind of lost track. Did you did you manage to see the Cardiff game? Yeah sorry, sorry, I was I was oh, back by then. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um <laughs> Uh, I think I think we inadvertently, with the win, ended up by confirming Newcastle was staying up for another season. So, um, uh, any any particular views on the overall performance um, against Cardiff? It was a bit nervy, um, but I think, and I think this goes back to I think Ray said before that you know the kind of resilience that we seem to have this season. You know, we got to have time nil nil and it, it was although I, I would say we, we were definitely the better team it was what it was it could have been one of those games um both teams really needed points but I think just the resilience and the perseverance is something that has been a bit new this season whereas I think sometimes you'd get to half time or you'd get to kind of that 65 minutes um I, I mean I know we scored for them but that 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 kind of bracket and you're thinking, oh my god, we need to change, and uh, this isn't going mm. well, and and the team would feel that as well, um, but absolutely like it, they just persevered, and, and I think well from my end on the TV, all I could hear was Liverpool songs as well, um, from pretty much start to finish, it was almost like watching like a game at Anfield, like mm. oh, that's absolutely all you could hear. I think the fans. Um, really did their job as well, and and I think uh, at Cardiff shirts that was always going to be a difficult game, especially the pitch didn't look great. Um, the ball was seemed to be running really slow, and it. it well, there were some interesting comments about about that the not watering the pitch and things, and but yeah. you know, and I think that was very very noticeable in the first. But I did think they they did start to adapt to, you know, to what they were playing on and the kind of differences that must be from from what they used to, whether it was intentional or not. Um, it it was quite obvious, but I think um they did really really well with that. I think. Um, yeah. Sorry, Molly. I was just going to say. I think. I think that the thing that struck me particularly is the level of um, patience that we're now displaying. And I guess it it's sort of, you know, going on from your point around, you know, how sometimes, you know, maybe the nervousness of the crowd would infiltrate the team and what have you. You know, if it got to 
however long and we hadn't scored. But I don't get that sense uh, really that much anymore is that they just, they go about their work. They kind of, you know, they've got a plan. They decide what they're going to do. Um, and they, and they believe that it's, that it's going to work. And, and let's face it with, with what, you know, we've lost one game all season. So, you know, you've got to, you've got to say they've, they have been doing a, a, a cracking job. Um, uh, Randy, did you, did you, I don't know if you saw or, or heard any of the comments around the, the pitch itself. Um, I think it was quite interesting because, um, Klopp said that, um, you know, they were expecting the pitch to be dry um, and not necessarily watered that much. And, and therefore, you know, the day before they'd actually trained, they'd got the groundkeeper at Melwood to not water or cut the training pitch. And they played yeah. on that for like a, you know, a, you know, 90 minutes or 120 minutes. And then, um, you know, Warnock afterwards said, well, you know, unless the, um, you know, unless our grounds person thought we had a hose pipe ban, as far as I know, the, the pitch was watered. But I, I <laughs> guess there's there's a part of me that sort of says... He is full of shit, to... though, isn't he? Yeah. yeah yes, he is. So. He's, a, he's a fucking walking ball bag. Um, <laughs> but there is, there, there's a bit for me around, I don't know, it's just, um, it feels like we've gone up a level in terms yeah. of our preparation and attention to detail i don't know if, if you yeah. that, that sense as well i really like the way Krupp talks about it all he didn't have to but he talks about it. And I, I think that was really nice especially for us fans because we we see and hear and experience how much they learn and how they actually bring it on going further because if if it was last year or the year before club talks about he talks about the weather a lot of them and sometimes he talks about the length of the grass and sometimes the dry or the wet pitch. Um, but that's fine. To me, that's something that he didn't have to talk about it. But to me, it's okay to know because now I know that they actually learn. And even though it looked like it, it actually looked like they were struggling a bit. Not that I was scared one minute because I knew they were going to do something great in the end. But you could see this is not comfortable. But then knowing that they were actually played an hour or so, in training, doing that, that makes me really comfortable. And I think that's very, that must be so comfortable for, comforting for the players as well. I mean, you have a coach that really sort of takes every detail and works on it and uses it. And, uh, I think that's fine. That's very good because people are trying to stop us in one way or another. And that little charm, mm. for, you know, uh, uh, Ricardi, of course, he'll try anything and everything. But it doesn't work, and that's that's the most important thing. And I also I also really like the fact that that game was it didn't look pretty, it wasn't good. It, we were not sort of flamboyant or anything, but but you knew that we were going to get there in the end. And I thought God, it was really helping us. Did you see that Morrison guy? The Morrison guy yeah. that, that sort of wrestled Salah, and mm-hmm. uh, also had this beautiful uh, opportunity for header heading on a goal. And he, I actually think he did it on purpose. He would have hit that goal. And he wanted to give himself a, a, a pen because he's a Liverpool fan. At least it's Luke. Well, he did, he did so come really out. Us along as well. He did come out, I believe, afterwards as saying he hopes Liverpool win the league. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> but um, since you've brought it up, uh, the the penalty, Salah's penalty, um, Ray, let's 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 just clear this up, shall we? Yes. Because there are, there do appear to have been some interesting comments around this, which is, well, it was a penalty, but he dived, um, and. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that, well, you know, some people are actually saying it was never a penalty. I don't, I am, I am struggling on a, on a couple of levels. A, about the, just the underlying racism in terms of some of the commentary that I heard, but also around if you have a player wrestling another player to the ground in the penalty area with at one point their arm across their neck, Right, mm-hmm. and that player goes down. You have people going, "Well, yes, it's a penalty, but I don't understand the but." I I don't understand this idea of going down too easily. What the actual fuck do you think is going to happen when a body is in motion and is then impeded by another body in motion? It's Newtonian laws of motion here, people. <laughs> right. So a player is grabbed by another player. Now, my understanding was that things like shirt pulling and rugby tackling and things like that were meant to be more severely punished by referees going forward. But apparently that only applies for certain teams. Mm. Now, um, Liverpool are always criticised as a squad whenever they get a penalty. And particularly so when it's someone like Salah or it's someone like Mane. Now, I don't think that people realise that there is this latent underlying racism when they start discussing things like this because it is always the same players who get this and it's nothing to do with how how long they stay on their feet or when they don't stay on their feet. You know, if he stays up on his feet too long, the referee's not going to give the penalty. If he goes down too easily, people are bitching that he went down too easily or it's a dive. Now... I don't take anything that Neil Warnock says seriously ever, particularly as he's <laughs> he's also a Brexit supporter, so I automatically yeah, dismiss yeah. him. So, um, he is a testicle on feet, and that <laughs> that face of his is not improving. Um, I said to Jan, he looks like one of those pensioners who spent too long in, in Benidorm and then come back because everyone was speaking Spanish. Um, <laughs> Um, but yeah it's it's really troubling and the thing is that from my vantage point where um you know i left the uk coming up to six years ago there is this very very worrying trend in the media generally um where there is this unspoken racism and it's certain categories of players who are spoken of in these terms while others are not. Um, sometimes it's because of who they play for, sometimes it's because of the colour of their skin and <sighs> there is bias. Whether it's yeah. racially motivated or not, remain, you know, I, I, I hesitate at it i really do but there's clearly bias whatever the motive is behind it okay but there's clearly bias there is. um, and, and it's a it's a narrative that has been um it's, know, been it's built part of over yeah, a period it, of time it's um, part of a wider narrative don't even question anymore 
Yeah, it's part of this wider narrative that is drifting um, ever closer to what you can only really dub far right. And yes. um, it's symptomatic of that. It is. And I just, I when I was listening to, and, and I don't know whether you, what commentary you you all get. So I know, Molly, you, you normally have the be in um, thing. So you potentially you have to put up with Andy Gray and old hairy hands. Um, <laughs> but the, um, we, you know, you I, know was, what? I was Even. listening. What? So even the commentary on being scored like absolutely blatant pen no question at all and we we then and and it's just mad because you i mean jack as you know he's an evertonian but he was like kind of joking like winding me up saying oh no he dived he dived but he was joking because he was making that joke because it was so yeah obviously a penalty and then you know later on Oh, we have friends round, and they, you know, one of them said to me, "What was it, a pen?" And I went, "Like it was the most blatant pen I've seen this season." And he went, "Oh, I said to my friends on, you know, WhatsApp and that, saying that he died." And I said, "Well, your friends don't know anything about football." I said, "If I said if they watched it, and and normally, you know, I'm all for conversation, yeah, <laughs> opinions, but I just went, they, your friends don't know anything about football." And then he watched it, and he went, "No, no, you're right," and and. I, I from and maybe because my commentary was saying it was a penalty and it was like a stonewall and there was no mm. questions, but it wasn't literally till a couple of hours later. I thought they were winding me up, like because no, Gary Gary Neville came out and went. It was no way it's yeah. a penalty. What's wrong um, he subsequently he did change his mind somewhat, but on the BBC, um, you know he. Martin Kilman was going. Well, yeah, it's it's a penalty, but you know he, you know he he went down. He went down quite. I'm going. Fuck he off. Didn't. He went down because it was a penalty. And, yeah. and he, I was just getting so wound up. And what what I find is as well, like work, like like obviously I work with children uh, and teenagers, and what you find is when someone says something that's completely ridiculous. It's normally one of two things. It's generally not because they're stupid. It's yeah. normally because they don't like you and they want to annoy you and ruin your day. Yeah. Children do that a lot. They say stupid things because they want to get on your nerves. Or they're attention seeking. And I look at like Gary Neville and, and like the likes of, you know, saying these ridiculous things and, and people on Twitter and they just think you're just not getting enough attention must be what it is or you're trying to annoy somebody because you cannot possibly actually think you're just trying to piss people off and, and I don't know whether like working with teenagers that happens to me every day and I just feel like some of these people haven't grown up and they're just trying to annoy everybody else or I don't know it just seems well, this- mental like the that, yeah. that anybody could say that was not a penalty, or that then, even that yeah, went down easily. Because I think if you, <laughs> if you if you ragged to the ground, and then he changes the position of his arms at one point and pulls him yes. in a different direction, yeah. then elbows him in the nose, and it's I think Salah did all to stay up the time that and he did. Well, <laughs> like, he's trying to, oh, to people uh, strangle him. I mean, how how are you? 
supposed to stand on your feet and play football when somebody's trying to strangle you? I, I can't get it. I don't get it. And I think it's so much politics in this as well. I mean, I completely hear what you're saying, Molly, about people uh, want attention or, you know, you can't go back on what you said because I'm a commentator and I know it's all, you know, and I support another team and all that shit going on. And then it's the racial bit and it's so many things that get tangled together and it's very difficult, isn't it? I don't think this ever is going to be solved ever. ever. Well, so is that next season we will have VAR in the Premier yeah. League. Um, so we've obviously had it in the Champions League, chitted it from it um, in the second leg against Porto for our first goal from Mane, which was originally not given. And clearly um, Spurs benefited from it in two ways uh, in the second leg against City when Lorente's goal was ruled that it wasn't handball or it wasn't deliberate and all the rest of it. And then obviously the goal right at the end for Man City was ruled off for, for offside. Um, sadly, on social media, I have seen, actually seen pictures of uh, hats that have been produced that some yeah. fans <laughs> oh. are apparently planning on oh. wearing, which say VAR offside. Um, which I, I just find pitiful, if, I, if I'm honest. Um, but put, putting, that, um, putting that to one side, um, do we think that VAR is a good thing? And do we believe ultimately it will be of a benefit to football? Um, Randy, let's start with you. I think it's two uh, points to discuss then, because first of all, we have to agree on the rules, <laughs> which seems to be a bit of a numb button itself, because people do interpret the rules differently. Mm. And like we talked about earlier, I mean, we were supposed to uh, get down strong on holding shirts and, and taking people down in the penalty area. That didn't really change from this year to last year. And um, going back to the Spurs City match, it was an awful lot of talk about, is that a handball or not? Yes, it touched his hand, but did he put his hand out? No. Where the fuck is he going to do? have his arms? You know, there's all these things that we have to discuss first. And then, I must say, it's so boring, isn't it, when it takes like up to four or five minutes to make a, a decision. So they, I think they have to find a more efficient, effective way of using uh, the video uh, thing about and, and hopefully that will happen you know it will evolve uh, after a while but uh, I'm not looking forward to it no but I think if we kind of agree on the rules it would be easier as well in the end Ray where do you stand on uh, VAR I don't mind it to be honest um, I understand what people's qualms are but you know, they've had video replay in rugby for a while. They've had video, well, Hawkeye in tennis for a long time. Um, and I think that there's a very strong argument in favour of eliminating human error in football refereeing. Um, it's been a long-standing bugbear of mine, and I've ranted about this at length on various editions of The Live Birds, but there are wild discrepancies in refereeing standards from one game to the next, from one referee to the next. And 
I think that I think that VAR may actually be the cheaper option than retraining all of these referees and trying to make sure they do their fucking jobs properly. Um, but it's all but it's also an acknowledgement that a referee's skills go only go so far, and that linesmen are often behind the run of play and then not level with things when, you know, balls are played offside or players offside or, um, you know, all of these things that VAR is designed to pick up on. Um, so I think that in the long run, I agree with Randy that sometimes these VAR decisions take a long time and it slows down play a lot. And if it's going to take five minutes each time we need a decision from VAR, then it's going to make football a little bit dull. Um, I don't like the idea that, oh, well, you know, if we don't have VAR, it all balances out in the end. No, it fucking doesn't. No. It doesn't balance out in the end. Um, and we know that there are certain referees who are very biased and others who are not. So um, I think um, I think VAR is going to be quite helpful in eliminating those kinds of bias and, and those kinds of human errors. Um, this may be an argument to be made that it can be used in the wrong way mm. and used to influence um, influence results. Um, I'm not so sure, um, but there are, I know that there is a, a, a belief in some circles that it does open the door to corruption in football, but I'm I'm not convinced by that. So well, yes, I think they are be good. We already have corruption in football. Of course we do. Um, in in terms of you know spot spot fixing and better, you know that there's there's been there's already been examples of corruption in football, whether it be officials or players or what have you. I guess the bit that, that um, and maybe it is the teething thing, and I'd be interested in your view, Molly, is, is, you know, actually the people in the stadium knowing what's going on. Um, and I know we get the whole, you know, the give us a clue, you know, it's a film um, sign from some. On referees, but I think they need to they need to get better at the at actually informing the people in the stadium because if you're watching at home on TV, you know what's going on, right? You know they're going, oh, you know, referee, it's gone to VAR, it's this, that, and the other. Um, and I and I appreciate that Anfield is one of the very few stadiums that doesn't have big screens in it, and I and I love Anfield for the fact that it doesn't. Um, but actually, they need to work out how to better communicate um, in terms of things. And the bit that I'm also um, I want to be 100% clear of is: is the, does the referee still retain ultimate overall control? So if he's given a decision and he goes to VAR and VAR says, "Well, it, it you know it is or it isn't offside," for example. Can the can the referee overrule VAR? And that's the bit, you know. I, I'm not talking about being perverse, but if they're saying, well, you know, I gave the attacker the benefit of the doubt or something, and that's the bit that I, you know, I guess it comes back to your thing about having consistency of decisions on similar incidents. And I I don't I'm not clear about if the referee is retaining overall control 
um, or decision making and can they then overrule VAR? So sorry, Molly, that's a bit yeah, of a no, I, I don't think I don't think anybody knows. I don't think uh, and like you say, decisions are so inconsistent anyway. I don't think that adding another layer of technology is gonna like make it any more in terms of consistency of referees making decisions. And um, there's two points really that I wanted yeah. to kind of bring up. The fact so if a referee is behind, he relies on his linesman to tell him that there's offside. So why can't he rely on a referee of the you know who's been refereeing to the same stands in front of a screen? Why can't he take that person's? So if that person says to him, "Oh, it was a penalty." Rather than it, the fight, you know, the charades game, and then him going to have a look and no one in the stand knowing what's going on, and then him deciding, why can't he rely on that person watching on the screen to make that decision? And it just be instant. Does that make sense? Like, it, because he's relying on his linesman to give off sides and to, to let him know. Yeah. What? No, absolutely. What, absolutely. So makes that sense. would be quicker and that would make perfect sense and it would keep the the flow of the game because it would be quite instant then the second thing is if i'm watching football on being sports or sky sports or whatever i'm watching football on and there's a contentious goal and it's contentious because of the offside some people think it's offside some people think it's not within seconds they draw a line on the pitch for me watching at home Mm -hmm. so i can see if it's offside or not, to the millimetre, really. And, the t- you know, I'm at home. So if we're bringing in technology into football and it, it's getting... Why isn't that there then? Because they have that technology. So, again, I suppose it goes back to, to having, to trusting that those people, those officials um, yeah. in front of those TV screens, they're going to have that. So if they get a radio, if that ref gets a radio through saying it was definitely onside, well, well, why is he going to VAR? Because they've got a <coughs> poor view yeah. of it anyway. They can literally see whether it was or it wasn't. Without, I mean, penalties are a bit different, I think, because opinion does come into that sometimes. There are some where you know you can give or you, you can't. I do think there are some. But I don't think offside is offside. You are or you you're not. You aren't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you you can you can look at that the the one in midweek with um, Barcelona against uh, Man United, where they gave the penalty for Rakitic and then went to VAR and then withdrew the penalty. Um, so yeah, I I think that you know the, there's the naked eye view, you know, seeing it in real time and then you know looking at it at multiple angles. Um, you know, gives gives you the chance to to reflect. Um, I mean, the fact is, it's here now. I don't think it's going to go away. Once they've introduced it, you can't see that they're going to take VAR back again. So, it's a question I think of, of how can you make it as good as possible in terms of helping the game and helping the officials, um, you know, be as accurate as possible. Um, during the game, so uh, you know we're we're obviously not you know not going to resolve you know whether VAR is good, bad, or different here. 
but it is it is interesting just sort of getting getting your views on it. I'm conscious that we have been talking for quite a long time and we've covered <laughs> quite a lot, um, actually. But what I would just like to um, try and finish on now, um, <clears throat> because I, I think this is going to be this could be quite quite an intense listen for our uh, for our dear audience out there, is um, we've got three games to go. Uh, home to Huddersfield, away to Newcastle, home to Wolves. Um, the Manchester derby is on Wednesday. Clearly, United got absolutely twatted by Everton at the weekend. Um, you know, I did. Quick... Wa- I did want to mention that because hats off to Everton for giving us all a fucking good laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't happen well very done. often. So thanks, thanks for that. Um, question. Then, um, before we go to any other business, do we think the uh, twatting of United by Everton means that they are more or less likely to get anything out of the game against City on Wednesday? Uh, Ray? I don't know. <laughs> is, the, is, is the short answer. I just, I don't know. Because the thing is that can we rely on Man United players actually turning up that day? I mean, well, well, I mean, well, I mean physically. I don't mean psychologically. <laughs> I mean physically because <laughs> they were They might have been there in. They might have been there in body yesterday, but they weren't there in spirit. So I don't know. Well, I would like. I would like to think. Surely I, that's enough. No. No. <laughs> oh, no. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It really depends. It really depends. And oh, on a side note, it was lovely watching Gary Neville have a meltdown after that result. <laughs> yeah. But that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I would really like to think that for our sake, <laughs> actually, no, let me rephrase that. They're probably hoping they'll lose just so that we don't win the league. <laughs> yeah, I think mm-hmm. they will. I really can't see anything. United getting anything from that match at all. Molly? Molly's out the wheel. I'm interested to know what his his table looks like. Is it looking as good as it was? Ollie's special table, was it in your pub? Uh, No, it's just in the papers. But the funny thing now, they've they've just had a hundred page out on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the United in one of the papers. And... uh, uh, the week after that, his, everything went downwards, you know, downhill, downhill. And now they sort of uh, stopped speaking about them a bit. So um, whenever they do, they <laughs> are just question marks and, you know, oh, it's sad and all that. So I don't know. I think uh, good luck to him, you know, and hopefully he gets some cash and he can do something to the, that team. But but uh, for my sake, I can't see anything happening. I think they they back to where they were before Mourinho left and all that and they just want out and I think they're going to be like four or five players going out and uh, City wants this they need the league now unfortunately and uh, United doesn't want or need anything it looks like well I think United need right, Champions I, League don't they yeah that's the that's the thing that could spare them yeah, they um, need to, but... anything at all is is that they need that yeah, but that they can't. <laughs> <laughs> what, they physically can't? Or... No. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> they just they just can't. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So so we have a we have a don't know, they physically can't and um, <laughs> well um yeah. I, I to, honestly I my only thought was that they have to play for pride in the derby, which might mean they could uh uh, they could scrape a draw, but honestly, I expect them to get twatted again. That's that's my expectation. I think if City are going to drop any points between now and the end of the season, it will either be at Burnley or Leicester. That's my honest opinion. Brenton. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, this is this chance for redemption and glory. I was going to say, if if Leicester beat City. Will will you pay Rogers a compliment? Oh God, yeah. No. <laughs> I would have I would have no I would have no issue of saying that you know um, as as we as we said in many ways um, on previous pods that water finds its own level. So I'm sure I could find a way to pay to pay him a compliment. Um, you know, but yes, you've got your team set up to beat another team in the Premier League. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> you showed long great courage. Yes. <laughs> yeah. sure. I, I thought you were outstanding. Um, so, <laughs> let's not revisit that again. Um, right. So, uh, very conscious of the time. So, um, any other business, anything anybody, uh, wants to raise, uh, wants to plug, uh, any question? Any last questions they want to throw in? Let's start with you, Molly. So I saw something um, like a a poll, like a supporters poll, because I feel, and I don't know how you guys feel, that we're not well liked at the minute. Liverpool are not well liked. We're getting quite a hate online and things. But I saw a poll earlier, and it's not reliable. I think it was from Paddy Power or some such. But which suggests that the only three teams with a majority, whose majority of supporters want City to win the league, are City, United and Everton. And at the rest of the league, the majority of their fans want Liverpool to win the league. That's lovely. Um, so, uh, again, well, that's interesting. I actually don't care. <laughs> I don't care if every other team hates us, doesn't want us to win the league. Because frankly, they can get on their bikes. I support Liverpool. I'm not interested in any other team and I'm not interested in any other supporters opinion of my team. Um, if we win it, we will have deserved to win it. And if we don't, then City will have deserved to win it. Um, and fair play to them. The fact that there appears to be this kind of weird guerrilla campaign about, oh, how horrific would it be if Liverpool won the league? They'd never stop going on about it. Um, as somebody said on, on the radio the other day, we're still hearing about the fucking Gerard Slip song five years <laughs> after it happened. And people have got the unmitigated gall to tell us we stop, wouldn't stop banging on about it if we won the league. What does every <laughs> single team that wins the league do other than bang on about it? So frankly, if we do win it, I'm, I'm going to have a fucking ten. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this for ten years. Right? Every time we do a pod, 
every time I talk to him, I'm going to say, by the way, do you know we won the league in 2018-19? Until they fucking vomit in my face because they're still sick of hearing about it. <laughs> Fuck them. Fuck them all. That's what I say. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ray, any, any last thoughts from you? I think you've rather said it all, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, bastards. <laughs> uh, Randy. Oh, I'll just say, cheer, cheer to what you just said, and then I'll go. Uh, I really like and love to see Gomez back, and I can't wait to see Ox and Brewster. They're looking really sharp at least Brewster and I can't wait to see him. So hopefully they get a couple of minutes before this season is over. That would be lovely, actually. Um, it was great to see Gomez back. Um, I also loved the little film that, uh, was it Oxo Chamberlain did in terms of the new kit launch, which by yeah. the way, I have to say, I am in love with that goalkeeper's jersey. Oh, yes. Gold. It's the um, best. It's the best kit. Oh, it's really beautiful. Yeah, I, I have to say, I, I might have to invest in one of those. Um, but I also <laughs> love the tweet from um, James Milner. Or was it on his, yeah. When he went, you know, when all your mates go out and you don't get the call. <laughs> Did you see wasn't... the hashtag? Yeah. It was like hashtag yeah. dentist night out or something. Yes. Yeah, I haven't got this mind. He's absolutely <laughs> hilarious on social media, I have to say. He's 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 come into his own. Um so yes. So listen, um I'm gonna i I'm gonna draw a line there because this is actually turned into quite a long pod now. Um but thank you so much. It's been great fun. Um and you know what? We're still in two competitions. We could end up at the end of the season with a double. We could end up with nothing. But let's enjoy the ride for the remainder of the season. Um, so thank you all for listening very much. And we will talk to you again very soon. Thanks and bye-bye. Life goes on day after day. Hearts torn in every way So fairy, cross the mercy Cause this land's the place I love And here I'll stay Sports Social Podcast Network